Hello, and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. With no review show this week, we've decided on a special episode where we'll be speaking with Berry fan and writer Peter Taylor about the season and the year that was without Berry. But first and foremost, how are you, Peter? Are you all right? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Yourself? Getting by, yeah. Both my teams won at the weekend, so I can't really complain, but yours did as well, uh, which is always nice. So three wins. Yeah, absolutely. First league match, first league win. Can't, can't beat that, especially in the last minute. Yeah, <laughs> best way best way for it to start, really, isn't it? Um, yeah. Before we delve too deep into all the, the good stuff, unfortunately for you, Peter, I'm going to have to go through a, a few bad things with stuff you can hopefully fill me in on. And hopefully throughout today's conversation, we can make sure that you know fans can see the the danger signs and call it out faster than maybe the the wider media did with, with Barry, unfortunately. But we'll go sort of almost back to, to when it first began. I think everyone in the UK now knows what happened with Barry, but perhaps not everyone knows how or, or why it happened fully. Um, so December the 11th, 2018, I think it was, Barry announced a, a takeover of the club. Steve Dale was taken over from Stuart Day. Now, I think... Steve Dale's probably a little bit more, shall we say, infamous than, than Day was. But obviously, there's a conversation that we had about, about Stuart Day as well. So who and what exactly was Barry under Stuart Day? Uh, I think initially, a bit like what happened with um, Steve Dale, where it was, oh, it was, you know, Sal Costa going out of business when he took over, I was purported to be. In the summer of 2013, Barry just been relegated to League Two, and it was very similar vibe then. Which, which, to be honest, in my entire time supporting Barry, they've always been pretty close financially to the edge. Um, not necessarily through any particular faults of their their own, like overspending, just because of I think partly because of the geography, partly because of the rise, obviously, of Man United and then later Man City and. The, Premier League era and just how many how many clubs there are in that great Manchester sort of South Lancashire area it's r- ridiculous really but um, as far as Stuart Day goes initially it was all good you know some somebody who purported at least to have some money and you know t- had, a, had a stated ambition pretty much from the first day oh I'll get buried to the championship in five years it's like his five year plan almost like you know, like a communist government sort of thing. It's my five-year plan. I'm going to do it. And um, he kind of stuck to that, really. Um, obviously, it took, it took a, a couple of seasons to get up and then he obviously went back down again. And I think it was in the, the going back down um, when Lee Clark, obviously an old, <laughs> an old Sunderland and Newcastle <laughs> player, um, when he took over as manager I think that's when it it really went to seed because yes there had been don't get me wrong there had been some really daft financial things going on before that but firstly the club paid Kilmarnock compensation for him which (laughs) should never have happened in the first place regardless of his ability but it's like a quarter of a million for for Lee Clark to come in and manage and wow. his managerial record other than obviously going on a long unbeaten run when he was in charge of Huddersfield Town wasn't great to be honest yeah uh, he did initially keep them keep them up in League One which was his um, you know was his stated aim and he managed to achieve that but that summer of um, 
2017, I think it was 2017. Oh, yeah, yeah 2017. Yeah, yeah. When all these really eye-catching signings were happening. I mean, obviously, partly as a fan, you kind of think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you know, likes of Chris Maguire obviously went later to Sunderland and Jay O'Shea and players like that. You're thinking, wow, this is the start of something amazing. But obviously, the size of a club like Bury and the financials, not actually backed by anybody particularly rich at all. And you just... I used to get questions like from you know fans of other teams like, oh, Barry only get gates of three or four thousand home fans a week, and how they afford in likes of you know James Vaughan previously or Tom Pope or O'Shea or McGuire. Like, I don't have the answers to that, but just by the nature of them asking those questions, it made me it made me try to investigate it myself a bit more, and it was a very murky picture. And then, like I say, I think when that relegation happened, that was perpetuated. It didn't finish under Clark because he got he got sacked quite early yeah. on. But the, the the aim was promotion. And as I said, the, the five-year plan was to get to the championship. He'd, Stuart Day had done everything possible to do that in a way, but without a manager who was either tactically capable or had anything like the man management skills to... To um, you know, successfully gel a team with the egos, the likes of Maguire and O'Shea and other players like that in it. So, and then O'Shea got injured for most of the seasons in the first game, anyway. So, and obviously there was Harry Bunn signing, which was another <laughs> red flag. But anyway, and then obviously contrary to expectations, where a lot of people, a lot of pundits actually outside thought they might get promoted, or at least in the playoffs that season, they went down and. The, the worst ever finish instead where it was at like 20, I think it was, yeah, it was bottom, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It was like really low points total, even though Ryan Lowe, who came in back in, who was in the coaching team anyway, but came back in as, as a manager or interim manager, sort of steadied the ship a bit, but there's only so much you could do. And I think it was that summer, the 2018 summer, where it's obvious that a lot of cost cutting needed to happen, and, and to be fair, it did in a way. But I think the damage the damage really was done by the previous summer in 2017, and um, you know people said, "Oh, very you know overspent in 2018 summer to try and get back up." It really wasn't the case, although mm-hmm. obviously some players still looked like quite top end league too, but. Apparently, also Ryan Love still claims to this day, and still claimed to me once in a phone conversation. It's like, oh no, they weren't really like that. But Stuart Day had maxed out all his credit cards and that, and stated, it was, "Well, it wasn't even there was no there was no." This is one of the main things about it, looking back. There was no ever public statement that he was putting the club up for sale. Mm-hmm. It actually happened. I. Over a weekend, over I think it's during a, or it was news first came out about it during a, a, a match of the weekend. I can't remember it was against maybe Swindon or something, but during that game or just after that, it was oh, Barry had been sold for one pound. And again, alarm bell should ring when any football club in the top ninety-two is sold for a pound. That just yeah. means basically somebody's taken on debt. a hell of a lot of debt, debt yeah. really. And then yeah, Steve Steve Dale came in and. Uh, fans vary in their opinions of who takes the most blame 
for or most responsibility for obviously the situation that unfolded afterwards but I'd say I'd say it's a bit like good cop bad cop where Stuart Day and I met him a few times actually like it was a, quite a personal bloke uh, you know um, always said nice things normally in, in in public and had a charm offensive and sat with the fans and all this sort of thing and it's like somebody you could have a pint with down the pub but he just wasn't. He just got in well over his head, basically. Yeah. Now, I'm not trying to excuse that, but I think he came into it with at least good intentions at the start and then just lost his way. Whereas Steve Dale just was a, almost immediately a hor- uh, quite a horrible character and never tried really to get anybody on the side within or without the club. So that's probably why, even though Stuart Day did the bulk of things really in financial terms that's why most people have it in more for Dale than for Day. With them um, with Stuart Day it's funny when you're you're mentioning like his character and the way that he he got into the club and how you just over his head obviously I know you, you look a lot of some look at a lot of Sunderland stuff and you, you know you, that's how we know each other when you look at the Stuart Donald situation with Sunderland where they are now compared to maybe where he was when he took over the club do you see a bit of a a slight comparison, but ever so slightly different way he's just got in over his head, Stuart Donald? Yeah, yeah, there was a certain, definitely a parallel there. Obviously, all Sunderland are a way bigger club and, well, far bigger supported club than Bury ever were, even though they were sometimes near enough in the league and such, or played each other in cut competitions. But, you know, I, I took a, I took a quite a big interest, actually, when um, he first came in, Stuart Donald. I, I used to listen to pretty much all the Roka Report podcasts yeah. were featured because even then it was quite a rarity for a chairman or an owner to be quite so quite so open. Obviously, there was certain things he wouldn't disclose or he wouldn't really try to slag anybody off in public, like some of the players, obviously, that were, like, say, you know, like Jack Rodwell or somebody like on exorbitant wages or some of the, like Didier and Dong, I think, yeah. they didn't turn up back for training or something like that in 2018. Yeah. 2018, it would have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He didn't, he, he, you know, I think he said as much as he could disparagingly about them without going OTT, but he, I think he understood at least initially what Sunderland as a city was about and what the fans are about and what people wanted from the club. And he was, really open it was quite refreshing actually because only you can only really think of a handful of chairman or owners like that like Andy Hull at Arkington yeah. and um, Darren McAntony who is a bit more divisive but, uh, he's, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's yeah but he's quite open as well with most yeah. things and you kind of think well it's actually quite beneficial for them I think to be less you know less cloak and daggers because although you know, he he made the point when I watched um, Sunderland till I die um, about being open. Or you know, that an honour is a custodian, which is something Steve Dale like said. But anyway, an honour is a custodian. It's really the fans, whether they legally own the club or not, who who are the ones who take it on, and it's it's their responsibility. Uh, it's the honour's responsibilities to ensure that that you know that perpetuates itself. And then I don't know. I think it was a, when they obviously failed to go up after the playoff final again to Charlton. And I don't know if it was before then, but certainly after then, there was a feeling that, 
oh, I seem to get a feeling that Sunderland um, fans were get, starting to get frustrated, not because they hadn't gone up. It was just, I don't know, it was just something else to it. And then yeah. it was kind of in this, in that summer where I, I kind of took a step back a bit from football just because of obviously what the situation with Barry. But when I came back into it, when I was just going around games here, um, I got a message from, I can't remember if it was Gab at Rock Report or something, mm-hmm. and said, oh, there's a situation here at, of Sunderland where oh, we want you to write something again for our report which we've done a few times on the yeah. site oh, we want you to write something because there's actually a lot of parallels between Stuart Donald and Steve Dale and because I hadn't been keeping up I thought really because you know Stuart Donald been pretty um, honest from the outset and obviously Charlie Meffin was a bit more um, <laughs> a bit more I don't know Cavalier or yeah, um, that's the right word. Took, took fewer, took fewer prisoners. So went like when he first came in, I think he kind of slaughtered the fans who watched games in pubs and stuff like that. Called, called them rather, than go to, rather than going to the, yeah, yeah, rather than going to the stadium of lights. So I didn't particularly endear himself, but yeah, I was really surprised about. It. But then, then I, I wrote my piece and then just said, oh, you know, even a club the size of Sunderland, I think, or maybe. Actually, because of the size, the club the size of Sunderland, fans should really have a part in it. I really actually have a, a literal stake in the club because yeah. it's it's just it's it's just so so the relationship between club and the city or the town or the area it's just it's so symbiotic that you know if anything happens, in it, I mean, you know yourself, Sunderland as an area has been you know a bit on the depressive side for a long time with, um, you know, closures of industries and all that. And then there's all this stuff yeah. about Nissan now in the area where, oh, what's going to happen to it because of Brexit or blah, 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 blah. And it just, you know, there's just so many factors where you think Sunderland just really cannot, as a, you know, it just can't afford to fail in that sense. So I was saying, I was trying to advocate that I like to happen too late with Barry, obviously that, fans should really kind of club together and not maybe not try and take over the club initially because obviously that, some millions and millions especially in Sunderland's level but just try and claim it claim something in it and then to put to at least hold Stuart Donald's feet to the fire a bit more and yeah you know rather than just you know the kind of the situation which developed under Ellis Short and such right the kind of they were in thrall almost to what to his you know, his whims almost. And it kind of, even though Stuart Donald had more of a charm offence, it was kind of the same situation developing where yeah. there could only be frustrated onlookers like 30-odd thousand every week. And it was just a bit, well, really, I think the time for action was then to, to really try to claw the club back almost from another situation similar to Dale. And yeah. And that very obviously... Absolutely. When it comes to, to Stuart Dale, just going back to Barry. Um, Steve Dale. That's what I meant. Um, yeah. when I, when I know I, some people yeah. do that. It's like, yeah, Stuart. Yeah. It's, it's just too, too, too many Stuarts here. Um, when it comes to, to Dale, when he came in, though, uh, you know, like, I think he was classed as, what did they say on the website, a very successful businessman, which is, it doesn't really tell you anything, really. Um, I think he was from, well, yeah. He was from Lancashire, wasn't he? I think at the time, so so relatively. Macclesfield was it? Which Macclesfield? Is kind of on oh, that Macclesfield area, which is kind of uh, ironic or coincidental, given what's yeah. happened to them as well. But 
very coincidental. Yeah. It's not, I yeah. think, completely unusual to not know a great deal about the person that's taken over the, the ownership of the club. Not not at like League One, League Two level. It's not completely unusual. Like the Charlton situation at the moment, sand guards come in. No one knows too much about him apart from kind of the basics. But obviously that didn't go well with Dale and we'll, we'll get into that. But originally when he first took over, I mean, like the day that he took over, how was he first perceived by Berry fans? That's a bit of an unknown quantity like Stuart Day was initially because there was all that that fanfare about Stuart Day and nobody even had a picture of what he looked like for about a few weeks. So, like, yeah. And he was purported to be a very successful businessman who was a fan of football, whatever that means. I mean, it was actually a Huddersfield town. It was actually a Huddersfield town fan, and have been quite a lot of connections between those two clubs going back a few years. But yeah, I think it was just an unknown quantity, and then there was all these media sort of media rush a week later, where it was you know a bit like a bit like Stuart Donald, but not really, but sort of on the charm offensive, and then oh. I'm only a custodian of this club, like I said, like I was referencing about Stuart Donald before. I'm only a custodian of this club. It's, you know, it's down the line, somebody else will take over. He's a bit younger because there's this big thing about him being um, a survivor of cancer or leukemia or something. I've read about that, yeah. Which I don't really want to go into too much just because there's no proof either way, but it was, it was used a lot initially as in he He'd been near death, and this was his way of giving. One, he was almost like on his death, but this was this was his way of giving back to a community that, had, you know, nearly nearly the club had gone out of business again. This is his way of giving back, and he was big on like community projects and all this sort of thing. And oh, the facilities at Carrington would be expanded, and there'd be like a almost like a hotel on the site where. Or you know, like for the women's team, and it was big on the women's team, which well, which, as as one of the rare people who actually likes women's and men's football in Barry, I was quite I was quite impressed by. I actually followed followed the women's team quite closely, and then thought, oh yes, somebody's actually recognised the the contribution that they have as well. And yeah, and then yeah, I think I think there was it was good for about two months because I, I as you know, I don't actually live near Barry anymore, but. Yeah. I went to the game. I went to the game where it was um, where they came back from three-one down against MK Dons to win four-three in the last minute. And it's such a <laughs> gig lane itself has never re- in recent history been known for having a great atmosphere. But that day it was really cracking, and then just went an absolute bedlam when the fourth goal went in, and Steve Dale was in the stands, and you know, even he, I caught him celebrating as well. So he thought, "Oh right, this is." really turned the corner here now and you know everything's going to be all right and then they're not yeah <laughs> quite, quick, quite quickly transpired you did do that i remember when you you talk about the the ladies team i think even if i'm i'm looking on twitter just now i could be wrong with that but obviously the, the very twitter the, the steve dale version of it's still active and stuff like that and i'm sure he posted something about community and it was like the the women footballers, the male footballers, and it was like all across the front and the fans and stuff like that. And it was all about, he had some kind of community push. But I did read something about how he said, um, he seen Barry as like his second chance and his, his chance to give mm. something back, like you were saying before, because of what, you know, he said he'd happened in his personal life and stuff like that. Um, and I think the first game, I think, was a, a 2-1 win against 
Tranmere and you were like fourth. But then shortly afterwards, you went on, I'm pretty certain it was about a 13, 14 game unbeaten run, which would have included that game. And at the time, in those two months when everything was great, was there any like murmurs of discontent? Because I do remember with, and the only parallel I've got is Sunland. I remember a few people going, well, hang on a minute, that doesn't quite work out with Stuart Donald pretty early on. And some of those people have turned out to be very much right. Um, but I, I can only remember a few genuine concerns. Was there any sort of concerns with, because obviously what ended up happening with, with Dale was weirdness, chaos and everything that came with it. But was there any moments of discontent during that sort of 14 game unbeaten run? Only one or two. And it was kind of, unfortunately what kind of the mentality was at the time and anybody had anything negative to say after some sort of euphoria but on or off the pitch was kind of oh no 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 not this time surely not this time again it'd be you know it was nothing but nothing too much just rumors about players not being paid again which again as a Barry fan kind of dogged <laughs> like the last few years to be honest in, in some form of it like when before Dale's time, when Leon Clark was at the club and yeah. he was only there for one season, he scored 18 goals in 36 games. But it was it apparently he was never injured, but he just wasn't played sometimes because of his appearance money or a goal bonus or something. So it's it's not what I'm saying is it's nothing new. And mm-hmm. there wasn't, like I say, there weren't too many, but there was just one or two people on like the main forums and that or social media going, oh, not sure about this Dale character. Where's you know where's he getting his money from? And, and fans do what they normally do in that sort of situation: just check um, HMRC and all the all the um, you know business records and all that sort of thing. And then that's when it started to come out about him more, just at the end of that sort of period. Yeah, because I remember it's like I mean, obviously that, that it's happened with a few clubs now, but it feels like I don't know if it, I don't know if it's just me. I remember clubs where players weren't paid and, and that situation happening. But I remember, I never thought that there wouldn't be that version of Berry. And obviously they've, they've came back, but I never remember thinking that situation would happen. And I never remember the media at that point, which bearing in mind, it was only a few months later that everything went sort of tits up for want of a better word. Um, <laughs> I never remember anyone basically saying, hang on a minute, things at Berry are a bit more serious than, than maybe what they are elsewhere, if that makes sense. Because I remember, like, I think it was Oldham weren't paying wages or something. I could be wrong with the timeline. And there was a few situations with that, and everyone kind of knew where each club stood. But Barry seemed to be, like, quietly in complete chaos. But when you're a fan of the club, you always feel that, and you live with it every single day, which is why it was such a shame that, you know, clubs like Barry and Macclesfield were lost for, for, like, a period of time with Barry. But when it comes to inside the club and those murmurs and stuff were coming out was it kind of one of those things where like Barry Twitter just kind of went hang on I found this hang on I found this how long did it take him to respond to these things that have been like eventually thrown at him not too long actually there were were a series of club statements over a few weeks where it was trying to refute what people were saying but it was done in such a way it was just completely lacked any professionalism whereas when people swelled rumours about which turned out to be substantiated when people swelled rumours about Stuart Day it was there's quite a united front about the defence of it but when when it was about him it was clear that basically he'd got the log on details to the to the official site and it was like his almost personal blog to refute things and nobody had checked what he'd said from a legal statement they thought 
saying stuff like, oh, what was it? There's like a there was like a legal expression he used in one of them. I think it's without prejudice. That was it. Yeah. Or, or I can say whatever I like now underneath this. And like I said, nobody checked it. Nobody proofread it. Although speaking of being proofread, eventually a bit later down the line, I can't remember who it was, but somebody approached me to proofread mm-hmm. his statements. Now, in a way, that might have been quite good for my media exposure, but there's no way it was I associating myself with a club or him. No, no way I was going to be tainted with that brush. <laughs> no way. But um, yeah, no, nobody checked and they just read like absolute gobbledygook to bury fans. And then obviously because of the nature of social media it got shared around and people just, other fa- you know, fans of other clubs just going, what the hell is this? It's just like, it's just like a child wrote most of this, and that's that's been a harsh on a child that wrote stuff like this. So it sort of refute things, and then <clears throat> I was running my own blog like quite quite a lot of the time, um, and I, I wrote something basically that said, in the politest way possible, when when it was really starting to hit the fan that he needed to go then, like so yeah. they only needed to go, and it, I think it's my was my most ever viewed or shared. Um, post like quite a few thousand people had re- read it which to be honest the blog about Barry is pretty pretty good numbers yeah um and he actually referenced it in one of his latest statements not 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 like a direct link to it but i was called in his words a cloud spinner <laughs> I, what, was <laughs> what was that but yeah because but i think it was his way of saying oh i used lots of long big words to say go away basically or something like that but it was it, for me it was an impassioned plea quite early on in the, the yeah. tide, tide of fans turning really turning against him to go and I actually got I actually got so much flack from that at the time from other very fans like some pretty libelous things were said about me just, just yeah. for having I should never did anything about it just because I thought I'm not that sort of person but just for having an opinion saying he needed to go. And if Barry were to finish the season, bearing in mind, they were, I think if they'd won one of their games midweek against um, Cheltenham Town, they would have been top of the league at the time. But they, they drew it anyway. But point is, they were obviously pushing for automatic promotion and, and that was the situation. So it's really weird in that sense. Talking about um, Dale's sort of statements, and I'm probably jumping far too far ahead here, but whilst we're here, let, let's just go for it. I mean, if you go on buriesc.co.uk, you've got support for Macclesfield Town, thoughts and prayers are going out to them. Then mm-hmm. he's got a September update and update, and I can't quite remember which one it was, but you can pretty much click on any one of them, and it's just yeah. a ramble. It's absolutely balmy, for want of a better word. I mean... There's the one where he's got he's like bolded and capitalized. I have never, I have never, was never, and then goes into a rant about COVID or something like that. Like yeah, and the TV licenses. <laughs> yeah, and TV licenses. I mean, on a on a serious note, is anyone at any point from the EFL? Because I remember when it when it happened. When you read in these sort of statements that he's putting out, it does. You don't want to laugh because it's a serious situation and mm-hmm. I, I think probably serious for him as well because you look at it and you just think what are you going on about but do you ever like sit and wonder or has anyone ever asked the question directly and got a direct answer what the hell were you doing passing him as fit and proper because 
I, I don't think I trust him to run a blog. You know what I mean? I wouldn't let alone trust him to run a football club. I wouldn't trust him to run a bath, but you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think people did attempt to ask that question of DFL or of him. I think the answer was there was kind. I'm not sure if it still exists now. But there was kind of a loophole in the owners and directors test where if somebody came in mid-season like he did, they didn't have to show the same level of proof of funds that you would before a season to continue your membership. So I don't think he ever had had to do it. And because he didn't have like a serious criminal record of, which he should do anyway, but anyway, of like murdering somebody or whatever, he was passed. So it's actually pretty... You know, as you know, it's pretty easy to pass the test, and we've seen proof of that at other clubs as well, where yeah, people haven't had the money or whatever, and and still pass. So yeah, and that yeah, I think people asked about it, and then never really got a serious reply back from the EFL directly, which was another big frustration. I think people have seen since not just about Barry, but the EFL in general, where it's just really not they're not fit for purpose either. And, you know, that, that sort of feeling started then, like the series started then as well, about the EFL as an organisation itself. This, I mean, the thing is, the way I look at it is, um, what you just said there obviously is hugely surprising and the fact that like you'd have to have a different level of proof of fund. Surely it should be the same way across the board. But there's too many situations. I think Wigan's one at the minute is the one that sticks out. Charlton haven't necessarily had the, the best ride for a little while. Michaelsfield have obviously gone out of business. But then... You look at the situation with with Berry, and you think about the fit and proper test. And what's my thoughts on that? A lot of blame is obviously going to be pointed at um, Dale, and understandably so. And as a football mm. fan, that's what you look at because that's essentially the club has gone under under his ownership, and that begs questions: Why has that happened? But I think probably. And you probably hopefully agree with me on this, and a lot of people do. A lot of that, at least 50% of what happened to Bury FC, the blame has to go towards the EFL because if they had not passed him, yeah, they were close to going out of business, but you've got to put an awful lot of blame, if not half the blame, on the, the EFL, surely, for allowing that to happen. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. No, 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 no. But the, the usual counter argument to that is oh, well, who the hell else would take Bury on with? You know, whatever level of debt, some people say it was over 10 million or uh, lower end four or five million. Who who else would take that level of debt on at, at such a time in the season, like midway through? Which I don't really think is an actual argument that stands up particularly well. As, as for the EFL itself, I mean, I've, I just think in prior to that, you know, with the EFL trophy or whatever it's called these days, camera, if it's actually got a sponsor now. Not this season. No, not this season. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, the way that was organised and the way they've always been really supine and enthralled to the Premier League about E Triple P, you know, like uh, about the elite player performance plan, about basically big clubs poaching, you know, players that uh, clubs outside of the main academies um, do. And just basically always hold it, the Premier League always held and still holds the EFL over a barrel. And that was the same with the EFL trophy about, oh, if you, if you let these B teams are under 21s in where, you know, you'd have players like Peter Crouch playing against Bury. What's that got to do with England development or (laughs) development of young players? Like, anyway, then that, that, that was another 
you know, sort of kicking the teeth to, to clubs. And you could see, by judging by the attendances for almost every single game, apart from, you know, the final, especially when it was Sunderland against Portsmouth, it's, you know, especially for Sunderland, it was a trip, trip, well, trip out to Wembley before the, the playoff. It's the like, first time I've been there in quite a while. Oh, it's a trophy still and such. And yeah, there was some prestige to it. But, but the EFL then used that record attendance to say, look look what a good job we've done with the EFL trophy. And isn't it a great competition? And then, you know, when in actual fact, nobody even cared really until the semis. No. Normally. So, you know, which very lost the ports. But anyway, and I did, you know, I was really disappointed by that actually. But point is, they've done that. They've done, <laughs> you know, they'd always been bent over backwards to the Premier League and then it went in that way. And then the usual thing they would say is, we're not actually a governing body, we're competition organisers, whatever that means. So it was, it, was, it was their legalese way of washing their hands or absorbing themselves with any responsibility whatsoever. So effectively, what, what their definition is, is all the clubs in the EFL are... Me- uh, members like individual members rather than like a collective it just happens to be with the EFL as their moniker but really it's just whoever owns these clubs are the members and excuse me and they get to vote on whatever measures but and then obviously and there's some last summer where you had the situation at Bury, you had the situation at Bolton you had situations at Macclesfield before then similarly South End similarly Oxford um, would get winding up orders as well, or winding up petitions, I should say, you know, against them as well. I'm sure there's some other clubs, Charlton, the situation, the farcical situation that was allowed to happen for years there under, you know, De Chatelet. And you just think, what? I don't know. It just just left me really frustrated because it it didn't feel like there was just one person or one group screen off of Barry or any of these other clubs. It's the EFL yeah. as well. And Debbie Jevons in particular came in for a lot of eye because it was just clear that she had no uh, common touch, no real knowledge of governance of football, no real knowledge of football itself. Former um, tennis, wasn't she? She used to play tennis and rugby yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, not... not disparaging tennis or rugby but they're a lot no. of popular as those sports are it's nothing compared to football in England and Wales no. nothing compared to it and she just wasn't up to the task and and every every statement she sort of made about Barry and Bolton at the time it came across like she was wanted to be a politician <laughs> like the, the, the very the very content of it was I'm actually like in the house, house, house of Col- commons when Clearly, she wasn't. But it was like it was like she was trying to um, use her position as head of the EFL as like a springboard to go yeah. <laughs> and try and get elected or something. Which, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think some very fans, um, going back to the EFL itself, some very fans basically blame the EFL one hundred percent, which I don't think I don't think it's a realistic uh, sort of perspective to take. But I do I do hold them responsible at least 50% just for allowing the situation to happen and then they came they came up with some basically made up rule on the spot where one of the reasons for the 
expulsion of Barry was, well, there wasn't proof of funds for, I think it was three, three seasons. Yeah. From, but demonstrably, you know, Charlton didn't have that. Macclesfield didn't have that. Wigan haven't had that. So I'm not, again, I'm not trying to say, oh, I want those clubs to be booted out of the EFL or anything, but it wasn't a universal rule or it wasn't applied. Yeah, it's got to be level. So, so that's where a lot of fans, and even now, still still really resent what happened more, more towards the EFL, actually, than um, Stuart Day or Steve Dale. What I find quite amazing about that period in time, which is probably not not in the wider scheme of things, maybe with with Berry fans, but I've spoken about too much with maybe the outside of, of Berry and probably should be is that the players at that point weren't being paid. And I think people knew about that at that point. I think it was like 12 weeks without pay or something. So when it comes yeah. to Berry's players at the time, even though it didn't really work out because they all left because they had to, and I think they left before the club, you know, went out of business, but how much praise do you give those sort of players for giving fans pretty good memories at the end with that promotion? I mean, the fact that they got promoted with all of that going on is like a real testament to like the actual community that was Berry, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was in personal contact with a few of them, especially um, Adam Thompson, who left for um, Rotherham afterwards. But So I, I knew pretty close like, the situation that they were in. And I think he put his house up for sale in Salford or Manchester at the time and when I think he did it on Insta, his private Instagram or something and people kicked off about that not not against him but just like oh yeah. god that really proves that they're, they're really hard up and all this sort of thing and yeah I, I heap a lot of praise on Ryan Lowe and the coaching staff and the senior players of the team because what people some people don't understand is it weren't just game paid not game paid sorry but Obviously, football, playing football is a really short career. And without that pay, they weren't being insured either medically. So every time they were going on the pitch, like say, let's say Adam Thompson broke his leg or something or did his hernia in, you know, that, that, was, that was him screwed then. Because be, well, you're not insured and there's not, there was no way he was going to be able to afford to play on. So they weren't just going out there to you know, hopefully get promotion or get results and that. They were they're really making a massive risk to their taking a massive risk with their careers, their entire careers, just the yeah. same foot on that pitch. And that's something that probably gets lost in the shuffle a bit about the discussion about the, the praise and all that sort of thing about the players and the staff carrying on. But yeah, it was the most when they did get promoted, it was the most bittersweet sort of moment of me following football because nobody people celebrated it don't get me wrong but they sort of held back a bit because obviously the fear of the unknown and knowing that it might be the the last time they actually play see their club and you know see the players playing and all that sort of thing so I, I certainly held back so I just thought my only, my only sort of solace was, right, they got promoted to League One now, so effectively the club is a, a easy, slightly easier sell for somebody who is half-competent. So yeah. hopefully a group of people will actually to come in and you know salvage what was left of the club or what could yeah. be left of the club. Even if it meant rele- immediate relegation afterwards, I, d- I just didn't care. It wasn't, 
for me it wasn't about which league they were in it was just about being continuing to be a going concern yeah and I think that happened with Bolton didn't it you see yeah. Bolton getting beat 5-1 and whatever it was I can't remember the results at the time I know they got two draws out of Sunderland I remember that much um, which is just typical I think they got draws out of Sunderland they did yes there was definitely well, hopefully I was going to say hopefully not this season we've just drew nil nil, haven't we so um, yeah but when it comes to like Bolton, I remember watching like a few Bolton vlogs and vlogs and, and all sorts of stuff that, because obviously Bolton, big club, um, and people were getting beat like 5-1 and stuff like that. And you're thinking, oh, you know, poor buggers. But they were overjoyed. They were just like, I'm watching my club. Like they scored yeah. the one goal and they were like, oh my God. Like they got an nil-nil draw, I think, with Coventry. And it was like, it, it, it gave them something to get their teeth into because like, it existed. Whereas Berry didn't really have that. And I think... Now that we're talking about Bolton and, and Berry, the big thing that got me, and I think this is when everyone started going, hang on a minute, like that's completely like out of order. But I don't think you can ever really feel it until it's your own club. Um, mm. It annoyed the life out of me was the countdown on Sky Sports. Like, how do you sum up the distaste that the fan base felt towards Sky Sports for coming up with like a graphic that basically counted down to the death of a football club? I think it united fans in a way that very few sort of events could. And obviously United fans of Barry and Bolton, who hitherto obviously had some sort of rivalry. I mean, usually it was kind of one-sided because they'd never normally be in the same league until yeah. that season, or potentially would have been last season. But And then, you know, lots of other people just thought, this is really distasteful. But I, I sort of took a... I agree with that, but I took a deeper view of it. I just thought... This is what football has become. It's become first and foremost like a something that you know goes around the news. It's like an entertainment thing, as in in the media rather than an entertainment as a sport. Mm-hmm. So it, that kind of summed it up for me, where it's all about sort of being dramatic and oh, you know, if they hadn't, if Sky Sports hadn't done that and had, you know, just. They, they, they want basically they wanted eyes on their screens. They didn't care how they did it. It was just about eyes on their screens going, oh yeah, like, like almost like treating it like you know the transfer deadline, which I think is today, coincidentally. But yeah, it's treat, treating it exactly the same way. But it's about that sort of ghoulish entertainment or Schadenfreude at other people's expense, rather than uh, highlighting it for its own sake and saying, well, you know, these two clubs could go out of business today. What, what can, can anybody help? It was these two business, they, these two clubs go out of business today on oh, it's 10 hours to go, nine hours to go, blah, blah, blah. And just boggles the mind. And it really, it's really one of the aspects of sort of modern football that I really despise the most. I'm not, I'm not like a, like a class warrior or a, you know, any, like somebody's completely against every aspect of modern football, anything, but that that really summed it up for me that day. I just thought I was actually glad I didn't have Sky Sports here because I just thought probably something would have gone through the television. To be honest, yeah. just at seeing that, it was it made me so angry. It seemed to just turn everyone like this. Everyone seemed to see it and was just like, "Hang on a minute, like that's." You just, you can't. And it was the fact that like when Bolton got saved, it was like, oh, Bolton has saved, oh, like bury this and that and it's coming in. And it was just, it, it dragged something out that didn't need to be dragged out, which coincidentally, I suppose, if you're going back to the conversation about Dale and the fact that he didn't have to have proof of funds 
<coughs> mid-season so you could finish your membership kind of indicates that, you know, at the end of the day, that was just dragging out what might have been the inevitable anyway, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, just no, defeats the point, doesn't it? Just defeats the point. Um, but when it gets to that sort of stage, now I spoke to... Um, I've spoken numerous times to, to Ivor Heller, who was obviously part of the AFC Wimbledon sort of, uh, or, the, mm. or the rebranding of Wimbledon, or the rebirth of Wimbledon. And he was involved very much from the start. And um, he sort of discussed when conversations were had about Phoenix clubs and doing the AFC Wimbledon, basically. So at what point did the fan base and uh, like people who are now involved with, um, I think it's Bury AFC, it's now titled as, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when did that start becoming an idea? How early in the process of Bury effectively not being a football club as they were once known? Not as early as you might think, actually, although I, I seem to recall when I put that blog post about um, basically saying Steve Dale needs to go, somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, they're not going to finish the season. I think if if we wanted a Phoenix club to potentially come in the season afterwards, as in 2019-2020, we needed to do something then. Mm-hmm. And I said that to a few people, and then I, I put it about more widely. And I was again, I was cast the gigs. Oh, but the, but the club is still here, and yada yada yada. But I, and I hated being right about it. But it was there's always a group of fans. I'm sure it's the same at every club. But it's always a group of fans who just bury their heads in the sand. They just don't want to know any, anything bad could happen. Still, even even really close to the end of very FC, they're still doing the same thing. Or there's even a few people now who still speak up for Steve Dale, such as because they still associate with the original club, they still speak up for him now. And, I, you know, I wasn't directly involved in the, the, the formation of the Phoenix Club. I, I did have a, a very small role, like doing some research for it, but it, it came in a bit later than I would have liked. But I think that was, I think it was partly out of almost respect for the original club, because it was still, there was still... Um, you know, potential buyers and all this stuff. Oh, so it was claimed even yeah. after they'd been expelled from the from the EFL. But which could have, if that had happened, there was a some sort of stipulation, like there was some really obscure one in the National League rules where they could have come back in two levels below where they'd been expelled from in the next season in twenty twenty one. So potentially they could have been in the National League or the National League North or something. But Obviously, that that didn't happen, and even even now in the very AFC um, page, it says you know if something miraculous happened with uh, Barry FC, then they've put it to a vote to um, if people want to stand aside for the original club and that sort of thing. But yeah, I think they've been quite because it wasn't like a clean thing. It wasn't like I don't know what happened to Chester City as the original. Yeah. Club. Which was kind of you know it's right that's happened and then you move on from it a bit like the situation with um, Wimbledon when they became MK Dons where you know the original club technically still exists I mean it's yeah. obviously trading under a different name in a completely different part of the country but obviously some fans followed MK and some you know went to form the the Phoenix Club a lot of people get really um, pedantic about what a Phoenix club is and still that still happens around very AFC well they're not a Phoenix club because the original club is still alive but it's basically comatose but yeah so there's always been some resistance from the start to even doing it all oh, people should wait until the club is the FC is officially dead but it still isn't officially dead now 
And how long do you expect people to wait? Because the longer you leave something like that, and even forget COVID for a minute, the longer you leave something like that, the less chance there's going to be any interest in like an eventual yeah. successor club in Bury. And although Bury isn't one of the biggest towns in the country, and it need it needs a club or you know like any mid-sized town needs a club to get around. And I just thought if you left it two, three, five years, then people just move on. I think unfortunately they just either have no interest in football, which some people still say that they don't have an interest in football, which I can understand to an extent, but just, just part of the town would die when actually the town itself, you know, especially from when I was growing up in the nineties, the town itself was quite improved in, in its sort of economy and its outlook and all that sort of thing. And then the, the, the club going in that way just was like a hammer blow to the town where all like, lots of businesses that had been sponsoring the club or like pub, you know, like pubs that were near it just almost gone out of business. That was before COVID just because obviously their, their takings, what they set up to be relying upon, like once a fortnight, like on a Saturday where you get lots of fans from other clubs come in and, you know, and a few pints before the game just went overnight basically. So, you know, just just a very awful situation um, just for the town itself. And even though the Phoenix Club aren't in the town itself, they're in the borough of Bury, but they're not yeah. in the town itself. Events were done sort of as, as fundraising or that sort of thing where some fans would go to the pubs, like almost like matches were still taking place and then yeah. got to various ones where just for us, just, well, tell the pubs obviously, but just to socialise because otherwise, I mean, for some people, a football match is the only time to really get out of the house. Yeah. Really see, really speak to other people about something they share an interest, involve share an interest in. So I think that was quite an important thing to do to sort of keep, just keep people's mental health a bit better, a bit more positive and to you know, keep the spirit, if you like, of very alive. I think that's what it was as well. I think when, when the club was going out of, or being kicked out of the league, because God knows where Bury FC are at the minute, that baffles me ever so slightly. You might be able to shine a bit more light on it, but I think that's kind of what it was. A lot of people kind of didn't immediately go to the, oh man, I, the 22 men kicking the ball out the pitches, how can I live without that? It was the what it brings for you. It's the community. And I think, I know me as a Sunderland fan, the one reason I've always loved Sunderland is because of the memories I've shared with the people around me, hugging random people when we score and we're weirdies mm-hmm. and pints before and after the game. Football isn't, it's a very cliche thing to say, but it's not 22 men kicking the ball. <laughs> that's actually no, the last, it's, it's actually the last thing, truth be told, yeah. um, that what happens on the pitch is just what affects what happens in the stands and what happens in the stands is what you remember. I think unless you're maybe a footballer and you have achievements in your life through the actual professional game. So, Talking of um, Bury FC, if you can answer this, where where are Bury FC at the moment? What, what is it? Because the Twitter page is active, there's the the, the website's active. Like, what is it? Where's it at? What what's it doing? It's a, both of those things are only really active in a sense when Steve Dale does something. Otherwise, yeah, I don't think any, I don't think anybody actually works on them or is left to work on them now. So I think they're, they're basically moribund without his occasional ranting to be honest which it as, definitely as a bus- is yeah as a business like i say 
they had the CVA, which is one of the big things like in the summer where like Bolton, if they had been able to start the season, they would have started on minus 12 points, like a different form of administration to what Bolton Um And then that, like months later, that failed. And I think it was originally, I was going to pay all the creditors 25p in the pound, which actually I was quite annoyed about because like I said about businesses failing and a lot of them were just actually just sole traders as well. I wanted any, any sort of settlement to be to get paid in full. That was my thing where that was one of the things where, where there was a Phoenix club being set up at the time. And then if that was my sort of red line for I'll stick with FC is if these people got paid in full. And then there was all these rumours when the CVA failed because it just didn't pay anyone at all that I was going to try and renegotiate it where it was like paying 1p in the pound. Like one p in the, that's not gonna you know like there was a say there was a, I think it was about nine million in total to all these different credits. It's not just players or former staff, but all these sole traders and like small businesses and people had done club favors and that sort of thing. One p in the pound isn't it's like an insult really, or yeah. you know if it was even if it was ten p, it's still an insult to them. As far as I know, I haven't heard any more about that, and in a way, I don't. I, I care about the, the people it's affected, but in a way, I've sort of transitioned almost. Where, I, like I said, where I thought, oh, quite early on, that a Phoenix Club was required. For me, it's just like AFC or nothing now because, like I said, about fans having a stake in the club, they're a majority fan-owned club. Yeah, and I was I was saying for ages before that that's the that's the sort of model that should be adopted, and you get all these people. Not just about Barry, but say, oh well, League League One's basically the the, the ceiling of uh, what's got to be achieved. And I just thought, so what? So what if it is? I mean, it's better to have something that's for the community that lasts decades and decades, where maybe your grandchildren go and see them, and you know, and that sort of thing, and still able to enjoy exactly what you had. Then where you get passed from owner to owner that might have lots of money. But you're only ever one bad owner away from oblivion. Whereas yeah. the fan, I'm not saying every fans club, fan owned club is a major success, but at least there's a collective ownership and collective responsibility about what happens and yeah. how decisions are made. So that's I think, why I kind of turned, yeah. I think a few people's mentioned was Sumlin, maybe potentially the, I think the 6% Charlie Meffern owns. I think someone brought that up. I think it was Rich um, from Mogul Report okay. potentially. Maybe like if the club could buy that six percent and and just to have a say in it, you know, like you say, you're you're one bad owner away from oblivion. Like yeah. even just having a say in it stops that almost potentially from happening, doesn't it? But um, I wanted to chat a little bit about sort of AFC Wimbledon, uh, AFC Wimbledon, very <laughs> AFC. Just before we before we do finish, um, obviously we talked at the start of the show. Uh, one in the last minute, ninety fifth minute, best ever yeah. way to start like your first season. You, if you could script that, you just it's brilliant, um, and it's great yeah. to see. And I, I think loads of people will be really pleased with it. But um, were you you allowed fans in? I think weren't you on? Um, yeah, because it's not designated as an elite club. That's right. Um, so it's 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 below. Um, it's the sixth tier. It's the tenth tier actually. So they're allowed three hundred fans in. So did you go to the game, or do you know people who went to the game? And yeah, I know people who went to the game. Um, I can't because I think Barry is actually in a local lockdown or some sort of lockdown. Anyway. Like that, yeah. Even even if I could have gone, in theory, I couldn't have probably wouldn't be able to 
<laughs> legally have been allowed to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I knew, I knew some people went. Um, some people are late converts, like I said, because not everybody has converted or, or probably ever will, but some people are late converts. And just, like I said, about being with their friends and seeing a game of football that's kind of a bit more honest, I suppose, and the whole setup's a bit more honest and open and accountable, which I think will eventually get more people on side. I mean, it's got a lot of people now, but... Yeah. And, the, and the, actually, the level of football, or yes, it's semi-professional, even at the tenth tier. It isn't. It isn't terrible. It's not like it used to, be where it's basically akin to pub football, where people just kick it long into the channels and all that yeah. sort of thing. And it's not really like that. So it's quite a professional. Although it's all volunteer based, it's quite a professional setup of the club now. Yeah. So, did it feel very from what the feedback you got did it feel like um obviously it's going to feel slightly different from Berry, and it's been so long for the majority of football fans it's been twice as long for Berry fans but um how aligned can they be do you do you have like a do you feel a difference between the clubs or does it very much feel like Berry's continued or do you think that'll just take a bit of time now for me personally it's like a continuation because like people, like I said, people say, "Well, FC still exists," but yeah, FC. Well, I would say FC Limited is in the business technically yeah. still exists, but although it's a bit ethereal and all that stuff, I think the spirit of the club is the fans or the people who invest in invest emotionally, I should say, in the club. Yeah. And most of those have transferred over to AFC. So for me, it's the same thing. They're still playing uh, white and blue. You know, I'm still nicknamed the shakers you know it's, it's you know it's still it looks like berry people, yeah it looks like berry you know like the little, the duck analogy it's it, it is basically berry for me you know even though it's <clears throat> been pretty devastating not just for me personally but for everyone you know i invested in it and it did it did a number of particular my mental health and because i'm a writer like you said at the start where i was actually writing about berry and a, and a before it all hit the fan, I, you know, I was getting calls from Ryan Lowe to come up and do podcasts and like interview more players, and maybe it could have led to a job at the club. And I was meant to be doing the official match reports and all. Uh, sorry, an official previews for all the games and that sort of thing. And obviously, it's it's just from a selfish point of view, but it, that that not happening really really did a number on my mental health. Yes, and everyone will have. You say it's from one of your own perspective or you said a selfish perspective, but I don't think so. I think everyone has their own things that, that, that the death of, of that football club, and especially the time away, will have affected everyone in certain ways. You know, right as someone who, for me, like I suppose the ideal job you would think would be working for Sunderland. I don't know if that's the truth. Um, but like from the, the outset, something like that. And if suddenly that just got taken away from me, you know, that would be that, that would be my aggravation, that would be my frustration. But I don't think it's selfish. I think everyone has <coughs> a reason that that leaving will have affected their mental health in some way, shape, or form. It, whether they know it or not, it, it's got to. Like, if you took away Sunderland on a Saturday, I mean, you're taking it away just now. Look at how much football fans are probably struggling with the fact that, you know, they're not being able to see their team and watch it through a, a blooming a computer screen. It's just not the same. And that's affecting people. Imagine not even that being there. We struggled for what yeah. four months during COVID, <laughs> like a year without it. Yeah. It's just, <sighs> yeah. So it does have its, you know, it does have its. Um, 
know, yeah. yeah. I mean, from a young age, personally, it's, it's been a major factor in my life. I mean, I first went to see yeah. when I was eight. I'm a, I'm a fourth generation fan in my family of the club. I mean, I used to go with my mum and we used to go to all the away matches in like when we were in Division One or what's now the Championship, like 97, 98, 98, 99. I mean, for me personally, those are the best times with my mum growing up. Yeah. You know, it's just us two, like going to all these games, like going to Sunderland, going to Middlesbrough, going to Nottingham Forest, going to Portsmouth, all these you know, really famous clubs and big grounds. And all that. And was, even though we probably didn't win many of those games, it wasn't really the point. It was... You know, I was like 12 or 13 at the time. It's just, wow, you know, so many memories just in those two years. And then, and you know, half, half of my grandma's ashes were, you know, like scattered on this, the football pitch and all this sort of thing. And then, you know, all this time later, and then because I've converted to the Phoenix Club, if you like, or whatever you want to call it, and then getting, being accused of not being a real fan just because I don't, A, I don't live near very anymore and B because I've gone over to the Phoenix Club it really hurts actually because I've yeah. had the whole, like 25 plus years of you know it's been a massive part of my life even if I just don't happen to live around the corner from the ground anymore yeah I mean I'm, I'm the same I live a good three hours away and if anyone wants to tell me I'm not a, a proper Sunderland fan I can also tell them that they're wrong and I think anyone who's accusing you of that as well I think of all the, of all the Berry fans I know you've been like one of the most prominent and vocal about it so I, I very much disagree with any of that viewpoints, but I really hope that, you know, it doesn't happen to the likes of, you know, Wigan, for example, with the main one or, or any of the clubs, unfortunately it, it might do, but I hope that, you know, expressing a little bit like what you've expressed today and, and kind of where you can find those one in signs for fans does maybe help them pipe up before it's too late. But I, I really appreciate you coming on and probably speaking about something that's been quite difficult, Peter, but um, thanks very much, mate. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Pleasure. Pleasure.